Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger in the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss New Mutants Summer Special Number 1, which was released in the summer of 1990, on sale June 19th of 1990, cover price of $2.95. That's expensive. It's got a page count of 80, although I'm only going to cover some of it. Uh, like 72 of those pages. Yeah, I think like like the story itself is 67, and then there's uh, additional content and such. This one's titled A Mutant in Megalopolis, and it's weird. I, I have a question uh, about the entire lineup of this episode. Okay. What does any of it have to do with the X-Men? Outside of arguably... Uh, the rogue story, which makes no difference to anything, and the gene story, which also is good, but has makes no difference to anything. This is a collection of stories that came out that um, around the time that we're at now in the X Men, and they don't really couldn't really find a place to put them, so I just <laughs> put them all together, and it might go by quickly, um, even though this is a sixty-seven page, well, like thing and we're probably going to zoom through it because it's the content is i liked it but the content is questionable <laughs> yeah we'll get into that uh uh so so uh I, i'd advise people that have listened to continue listening although why weren't you because you, you've already subscribed to the podcast but uh <laughs> there's like nothing all of these stories uh, granted, I did not read the Silver Surfer story, and I'm curious what the connection is because I only saw like a picture of Colossus. But we'll get there when we get there. Um, none of these stories really matter, but they're all kind of good in their own right. They they all are unique, and they're all of a certain quality. Like none of them are outright bad. No, I would say this is an interesting story that we're about to cover. Uh, and then the two annual backups we do, I think are good. Like they're not amazing, but I think they're interesting. And then, um, gosh, what was, what else is on the list there? Marvel superheroes one and two. Well, parts of it, not the whole thing. Cause I think those again were 80 page books. That, <laughs> yes, they were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those are unnecessary stories that aren't really bad. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff here. So, uh, the New Mutants, uh, summer special number one. As we get into the 90s, there's going to be a lot of this um, stuff, content, that doesn't matter. <laughs> and I struggle to figure out whether or not to handle it on the show. So, there might end up being more of these kind of one-off weirdo episodes. Right. So if you were to hit stop now, and you shouldn't because we've got lots of good stuff to talk about, you won't miss anything as far as the continuity of the Uncanny X-Men goes. Yeah. But that being said, uh, let me hook you with this uh, thing that's the, the, the subtitle here. Uh, Enter a televised world gone bonkers. And that's how you know it's the early 90s. <laughs> 80-page Vidiot's Delight. Oh, my gosh. Vidiot's Delight. We don't know this yet, but that's the name of a character. You're almost thinking, like, it's MTV Generation. They're they're coining cynical phrases for television. You'd be right. Which this entire issue uh, is definitely, uh, is it Anne? Anne has got something to say. This is the most political <laughs> issue that we will ever cover, I, I imagine. And our cast of 
characters is it's uh, Sunspot, Wolfsbane, Boom Boom, and Warlock. Yeah. Uh, it's, they're totally excellent. Televideo Adventure begins on the very next page. Was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure out? I, I feel like there's getting into some of that vibe. Oh, probably. Cause, uh, that was late 80s, right? Bill and Ted, I think, was 88 or 89. Yeah, so I think they're getting into some of that kind of uh, cool guy vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 90s. Let's face it, that was a late 80s, early 90s movie. Yeah, most of that movie was filmed, though, in like the mid-80s, and it was shelved, and then it was released a little bit later. Oh, look at you dropping the knowledge. Oh, yeah. It feels like the 90s, maybe because the sequel feels like so much like the 90s. Oh, the 90s. Well, that's that's the thing that's – if you watch them back-to-back, you're like, okay, 80s. Oh, my God, 90s, right? Because the bogus journey is like so 90s. This is Ann Nocenti, Brett Blevins, and, you know, on, on the surface, you're like, ooh, Brett Blevins is back to do some new mutants and Nocenti's writing. Um, and the story, you know, as we mentioned, this is interesting. Uh, this is Brett Blevins, like, phoning it in a little bit. It's, it's interesting, so? but it's, yeah, this is not, in my opinion, up to the standards that he set uh, earlier in the New Mutants run. I don't know that I just, I think he gets to explore a lot of different things in this one. And I think maybe the, maybe the 80 pages or the 60 some pages are maybe a little daunting, but yes. I think some of this stuff is very uh, interesting. It has a, um, and it's even referenced in here, a uh, yellow submarine vibe of just like wacky stuff happening uh, all over the place. I don't know how we're going to cover this. This is this is going to be this, this issue, this episode. <laughs> this is going to be the worst one ever, or the best one ever, or something. <laughs> it, it, yeah, this story is just all over the page. So we we open up on three pages of just like doom and gloom news and political commentary of like TV has the power to shape generation start fads tell you what's important uh uh never mind that the television itself is what gave the terrorists the power to hold the world hostage never mind that just move on to the drug war more infernos and death and military hardware to the rescue so right away we're like whoa what's (laughs) what is happening and then it goes on like the drug war there's some opinions on the drug war um, and then we see starving children like laying next to like a cold concrete ground and a wall. There's all of this horrible stuff. And, and it's like, we're showing you all this horrible stuff on TV. And it's only happening because of the stuff that you've seen on TV, which is interesting. Because very relevant in today's world, too, which is interesting. I agree and I disagree because I was thinking about this as I was watching this because I don't I feel like so 1990 when this came out, we're 50 years into television. Is that about mm-hmm. right? Or 40 years into television? Certainly the popularity of television. And it keeps growing. I agree and grow- with you, no matter what you say, because I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think there was TV before 1940. And I feel like that's even a little early for TV. Okay. Uh, had, so, oh, yeah, so 1990. Let's just say it's 1950, because I don't actually know. So 40 years of television. Uh, and then TV itself has kind of by this time has had kind of a um uh an evolution of starting off as 
as broadcast shows, kind of slow pace. Like we're going to take radio and we're going to put it on TV and we're going to have long scenes and you're going to see what's happening. And then by the 90s were MTV where its criticism was like fast cuts, bright lights, boom, 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 boom. Uh, and CNN comes along with 24-hour news access. Uh, they have to invent news to be able to, like, how can you report news 24 hours a day? Because before that, you got it at, like, 6 a.m., 5 p.m., and 10 p.m., and 30 minutes each. And now it's 24 by 7. Um, and on a side note, that blends into your movies, too, because, like, 20s movies move very mm-hmm. slowly, very uh yeah, part of the reason because you couldn't move the cameras and all that stuff. So you have like these drawn out kind of scenes that take their time and a lot of space to breathe. And then as time progresses and TV progresses and the news progresses to what you're talking about, where you just have the fast editing, the same thing happens to film where just editing gets faster and faster and faster and faster until audiences of today go back and have trouble watching old stuff because it moves so slow. Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, it's building blocks, really. Like, if you showed somebody a modern movie in the 20s, they would lose their mind and be like, I, I can't, I don't know what's happening. It's too much happening, too much information. And so if you, you kind of evolve on it. In the 20s is super early. Like, people were still shocked that films were <laughs> there. Like, people, I think that was like around when the, the train was coming towards the camera and people ran out of the theater. Is that an embellishment or did that actually happen? Supposedly that actually happened. I mean, I've seen it parodied on The Simpsons, but supposedly that is an actual thing that happened. Okay. People, they were they had to they had to warn people in advance <laughs> that sure. you know the images you've never seen anything like this before, and sure. people were freaked out. Because I mean, what do you think? It's like, oh my god, this train's coming at me. What am I gonna do? <laughs> it can't just be on a flat plane. I see it changing from far away to close. Uh, yeah, so it's probably like magic. But uh, my point that I was originally trying to make was uh, today in 2020, you could draw some parallels about news and such, but I think it's so now um, passe that like the opinions expressed here about TV kind of ruling, think about like all the songs that you know were revolting against television uh, in the 90s and i can't think of any other than lyrics that i can't place to songs but in 2020 i think it's just that thing that's always on and nobody watches tv anymore right they're watching hulu and netflix tiktok quibi <laughs> it's a very weird point of view too because it's it's both conservative and liberal at the same time and i don't i think that this was a prevalent this to me it feels like an old person writing about tv in the 90s because i felt like i think my parents were, were very much like you gotta turn that off it's too much noise too much too much is happening on that screen uh you know you, you can only have 30 minutes of television time a day well right but your your parents were never talking about the politics behind the scenes of all of that stuff i mean this is this goes deep this is this is taking it to an extreme, but my man, my parents were kind of liberal and, and they would yeah. they have similar criticisms, but, but this is definitely trying to, to make a statement. It's definitely something that I, 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 I haven't read Anna Senti before and she's definitely different. Um, but I've never, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything this politically charged in a comic book prior to this time in in space like i've like obviously you've seen political stuff yeah after this but 
this is this is probably the most politically thing that we've certainly discussed. And I want to qualify my older statement. I said this is what an old person would write about '90s television. What I think I more meant by that was an older former hippies perspective on what's happening on TV in the '90s, which is kind of the vibe I get from Anna Senti, older hip person who grew up in a different time. Yeah. It's 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 both very jaded, but also very like third eye opening sort of stuff. <laughs> and so the TV leads to Rain, who's watching this, and she's crying. Boom Boom's coming in, and she's like, "Ah, oh, you're such a bummer when you cry." And Rain's like, "Oh my god, the world's awful. Look at this TV. Everything's terrible. We should give everything away. What for? We're rich, bourgeoisie, yuppie mutants." Oh, okay. So right now you know that immediately this is taking place in some weird alternate universe. Uh, I mean, they do live in a mansion. They do have access to the professor's funds, presumably. Do they? Does Cable's New Mutants have access to all that? Or is this take? where does this take place? This must take place in Cable's timeline because they're wearing their new uh, Rob Liefeld suits. I Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is an alternate universe. I think Boom Boom's... Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so either. Yeah. I don't know. Although it ha- it kind of has to be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Boom Boom's not taking any of this serious. And Rain's like, no, no, no. Look at that tornado. How can God kill one side of the street and not the other? How did he choose? Talking about the random acts of God sort of thing. Boom Boom kills a fly with a bomb. It seems like a little overkill. I didn't know what was happening at first. But yeah, we get a close up of, I think, Boom Boom killing a fly in front of rain's eyes or is this in front of boom no, that's eyes? her own eyes okay. she she uh it lands on her nose she blows it off and then she flicks a tiny little bomb mm-hmm. and then boom and we see a extreme close-up of a fly exploding a lot of detail put into this fly yeah brett levens is his best it's a good fly it's a good death fly probably the best <laughs> fly dying in a comic book i've ever seen i might might i have to agree with that <laughs> Uh, Boom Boom goes on to ask, like, why did God create flies and cockroaches? Uh, but let's go. You got to be zen about these things, yin yang and all that. Embrace the paradox. Live with the hypocrisy. Blah blah blah. She cries. She turns into a w- wolf and she runs off. And she's starting to drink some water that's in a river behind the mansion. And she's like, "Oh my God, this water's all polluted. Ah, somebody's got to do something about this." Uh, and then there's some shadows that kind of watch like oh did you see that they're kids and they're they're running off that girl turned into a wolf we got to help them i got an idea that was cool and we got to talk about these kids i mean as they become more of a role because i don't understand what is happening with them who they are where they came from and what they're doing but we'll get there when we get there okay they're clean they, they get the idea they want to clean up the river for rain do they say that here? Oh, they do. Let's clean up the river for them. Yeah. And at this point, we don't know that they're kids. We just see like some silhouettes uh, against a tree. So you don't know if like, are these the bad guys of the episode? Misunderstood bad guys or, or what's happening with these characters? Meanwhile, in another full page spread, because we have to burn pages, <laughs> we've got Warlock who has manifested many different eyes and evidently is also using his teeth to watch as many television screens as possible because he is addicted to television. And Adam, I wanted to take a moment and go through these screens and see what we could name. Well, obviously The Simpsons. Nailed it. Uh, there's Yellow Submarine. There is Yellow Submarine. I think 
uh, one, two, three, four over from The Simpsons. I believe that that is Alien Nation, the TV show. I'll buy that. Yeah. I don't know. There's a very distinct woman next to Marge Simpson, but I don't know what that is. Looks like there's a spaceship, um, like a like the Challenger or something like that in the third. It's a rocket, I think. Yeah. Uh, the bottom left is Roseanne. Uh, I'm just going to say that the Jeep... The, bottom right is Whoopi Goldberg. Sorry, bottom left is Roseanne, bottom right is Whoopi Goldberg. I'm going to say that that Jeep, I have no context or evidence of this, uh, but I'm going to say it's A-Team because it's a Jeep. I'm going to say it's MASH. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, you got Yellow Submarine represented on three screens, so I feel like they're drawing a lot of um, uh, uh, inspiration from that. I feel like there's a couple nature channels. What's the third one? Well, there's two panels of the submarine. There's two screens showing the submarine. Oh, and then the third one is in the, the, the next, the top page, right next panel. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got. Is that RoboCop? Where? No, it's probably not RoboCop. Down one, two, three, four from uh, Yellow Submarine. It looks like Muppets, but I could be wrong. And then below that, who do you think the woman there is above the bat? It's got to be somebody. Above the bat? It looks like uh, Darlene from Roseanne. Okay, I buy that. How about to the left of the bat? To the left of the bat? It's a it's a blue-shirted woman with a very distinct blonde uh, hairstyle. Yeah, it feels like a 50s throwback thing, although you got your Bewitched directly beneath it. And not just Bewitched, but like the animated entrance to Bewitched, which whenever I would see Bewitched on TV and they would show that animated sequence, I'd be like, I just want the whole thing to be like this. <laughs> but it wasn't. I'm assuming to the right of that is Doogie Howser. Um, okay. I don't know when Doogie Howser came out, but that seems appropriate sure. to me. And then to the right of that, you got Robbie the Robot. Yep. Uh, above Bewitched, you have, um, what is that thing called? War of the Worlds. Yeah, the Worlds. I'm going to go with War of the Worlds too, although I kind of wanted it to be V, but its I don't think it is. No. It's, it's War I think of the Worlds. V is, when did V come out? Was that mid-90s? Who knows? Oh. Who is above Roseanne? There's two. It two, <laughs> looks like two, I want to say children. One's a blonde and the other one's maybe got curly brown hair. It's hard to tell. It could be Hall and Oates. <laughs> it seems like it's drawn so specifically that it is It has something. to be somebody. I would have said Simon and Simon, uh, but uh, that the blonde-haired guy could work, but the, the guy with the, the pink shirt and maybe headphones or just like a weird um, collar and, and button-up does not look like the other Simon. Because that guy was male pattern baldness, I think. Other than the Beatles, there are no music videos here. So there's no music. Unless that's Hall and Oates. <laughs> right. Which I don't think it is. <laughs> you don't know. Neither of them have a mustache. Uh, that's a good point. And the woman that you said we don't know, I'm thinking that's Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. I don't know why I get that vibe, but whatever. To the right of Marge Simpson? Yeah. It doesn't look like Linda Carter to me. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, it's somebody. But anyways, this is everything that... that, that um warlock is watching planet of the apes is that beneath uh bewitched oh could be it kind of looks like i mean we only get like a triangle of it but it could be charlton heston lifting something up over his head i think that's what it is sure 
Warlock's heard all about the risks and dangers of watching too much TV. Does he care? Nope. <laughs> and that's when an alert goes off. Uh, and Warlock detects a transmission, so he extends an antenna from his head up through the floors, up through Sunspot's bed, out of the mansion, and into space. This is kind of a cool panel layout because the panels are broken up in the rooms. It took me a couple seconds to figure out what was going on because I'm used to reading. Like, normally I would read right down, mm-hmm. but you read have to read right up. So I was I was thrown off at first, but then I realized, like, oh, cool. The floors are laid out like panels. It's it's a neat effect. Almost gives yeah. it kind of like a three-dimensional uh, perspective. But Yeah. It's like one of those uh, pit uh, yeah. Blueprints. My favorite. <laughs> so uh, uh, Warlock gets his little probey eye into space and asks if whoever it is wants to uh, transmit. Self will guide you to self's television. Uh, sensors indicate signal emerging from an alternate dimension attracted to Warlock. There's some radio waves that appear in the sky and Warlock reaches out a hand and grabs a lightning bolt and then sucks it back into the where his room is. And, uh-oh, what is Self caught? What will Self Friends New Mutants say? I, You know, I'll say that Brett Blevins does draw, in my opinion, the best Warlock. Absolutely. He he just he gets it. Maybe, maybe uh, him and... Um, uh, the, the guy who originally did it are, are tied, whose name I can't remember. Savage. Seba Seba Savage. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rain, Boom Boom, Sunspot all show up and they're like, what's going on, Warlock? Boom Boom's like, gosh, Sunspot, why you got to be such a hothead? Because Sunspot's a hothead. Yeah, he's, he runs in and he's all like smacking around. Uh, hey, cut it out. He crashed through five floors. Mm, I was sleeping. He woke me up for what? To catch a lightning bug? (laughs) So Warlock has caught something and the other three new mutants are like, what is it? Open your fist. Sunspot punches Warlock's fist, which forces the hand open and a little blue body with a TV head shows up and his name is Vidiot. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Vidiot journalist from a nearby dimension. They booted me out because I wanted to write a story that the big corporate mega lar- larpoli didn't like. Come seeking help. Military aid, intelligence aid, freedom fighters, whatever. <laughs> yep. We'll help, say the mutants. And he's like, well, you, you will? And then Roberto says no. And he says, oh, that makes me sad. And Rain says, all right, he's sad. Let's help him. And he uh, he pops up with excitement. His antenna raised high. Boy, and he pulls them into a vortex. Uh, he can't quite open it up, so Boom Boom throws a bomb into it. And Roberto says, don't. And then Boom Boom says, what? <laughs> and they get pulled into the vortex. It. This is a funny uh, call, well, unintentional callback to, to our history. Uh, all the new mutants start making crazy noises. And finally, Vidiot's like, it's impolite to not speak the universal language with an alien. Jeez. <laughs> because the universal language of all movies in space is English. Right. 
And meanwhile, all the, all the, everybody's just saying, it's all nonsense letters. Yep. That's, that was, that was funny. So then they land on this crazy planet that's just filled with products. And this is where it's going to get hard to describe because, uh, the pretty much the rest of the issue is, is nonsense at this point. But I mean, it's not, it's not exactly nonsense. It's just there's so much here that it's going to be very hard to explain. So this will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's broken out into vignettes separated by the kids trying to clean up the water. And there's some parallels, I guess. But this first vignette, which which is very crazy, a lot of stuff happening on the screen, is all about like like consume products, stuff. Uh, just this this the city that they're in it just has it's just raining products. And there's people. There's a lot of the, like the people of whatever this planet is are all these kind of yellow bodied people with kind of round roundish faceless heads some of which lead into TVs. Mm-hmm. Some, of, some of them are flying. They all seem to have like you know, little antennas. They're all essentially featureless. Um, we got Diet Choke. We got Eat Now. Uh, words that are just sitting around need. There's almost like a uh, a more overt, um, what's that movie? Uh, they Live, right? Consume, yeah. Submit type thing but this isn't over it's just like here's stuff and you want it and they're all like we want it the gluttony of owning too much oversaturation of media consumer heaven in general is breeding ground for vidiots like me he says welcome to megalopolis uh boom boom picks up a styling mousse and a hairbrush because her hair is all messed up she fixes roberto's hair too uh, a woman on a limousine that's just filled with more products and a big sign that says, you need it. Uh, on her bust, she's got uh, the words, buy me. She's got a for sale necklace. She's like, buy my blue jeans, look like me. Buy my lipstick, have lips like me. Buy my stereo, girls will like me will love you. I got it, you want it, buy it. Yeah. And rain, rain is drawn into her, uh, her, her stuff. <laughs> her and Sunspot are kind of enamored by this. Uh, and Boom Boom's like, ah, it's a Barbie doll. That's not a girl. That's a Barbie doll. So that woman with the buy me uh, bust comes down and she's like, look at you talking to Rain. She's like, let's give you some lipstick and fix up your hair. Come with me. And and she uh, runs away for a while. She kind of does her makeup to make her look a bit like a clown. But then when she looks in the mirror, she looks like a cover girl. Yes. And she's attracted to that. She made me so pretty. And she takes off. Uh, and Sunspot kind of sees like, oh, I think there's some sort of siren seduction going on here. You can't leave. And then they are blocked by a TV. Which they fall into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then go to our next vignette, which is first interrupted by these kids that we'll talk about in a second. So at first, at this point in the comic, I'm like, okay, each one of these new mutants is going to get kind of paired away. Uh, and then at some point, they're all going to have to come together to solve this problem. But spoilers, it's it's just rain. They could separate it for a while, which isn't a bad thing. So the kids that are, are sitting in the water and they're like, okay, uh, here's the plan. Nobody's going to do anything if we don't do anything. So let's just sit here. And at some point, somebody's going to see us 
and ask us why we're here and we're going to say we want the water filled up and as soon as we get the media here with the tv and people see then we'll get action right but the thing i'm confused about and i'm sure it's like i can't tell if it's an artistic choice uh is that they're they're like black and white newsprint characters so all of the characters are in black and white the backgrounds are very uh they're colorful but simple there's not a lot of detail in them Except for one. Yeah, that, that's the one that I'm looking at right now. The one above it is completely black and white. Then you got a bunch of colorful trees. And then for the most part, black and white foreground colored patterns in the background. And then one girl has a pen and she starts putting green spots on her uh, arm, which sort of comes into play later. Yeah. Maybe you'll mutate or something. Gross. So what? It looked cool on TV, and now she's drawn some blue dots or green dots on her hand. Yeah. So are these? Is this just a? Is there something more that I'm I'm not seeing with these characters? Probably. I mean, I think there's something more that I'm not seeing through that throughout this entire issue. <laughs> um, I, I, obviously, this is a social commentary. Yeah. Um, about like there are problems in the world, and they don't get the proper attention that they that they need unless they get the media to cover yeah. them. And there's, it's, it's kind of a vicious cycle. And I get the social commentary going on in the new mutant story. And I get the overall arc of these characters. I just don't understand the symbolism of keeping them all in black and white. Yeah, I don't either. Okay. Yet. But maybe, okay. maybe, maybe it'll come clear. Cause at some point they do get colorized. They do. You're you right. have to like pay attention to that and maybe, Maybe that's maybe they get colorized when they're on TV, and then, and that's just the whole point. So this second vignette is all about like politics on television, I think, because <laughs> okay. they they pop out of the television in a different area and and uh, they're all like flat and they have to like I don't know they use I think they use a remote control to inflate themselves. It's very weird. They change channels in order to become unflattened. And now they're in, I can't even really explain what's going on. It's like Orderland. Yes. One man's junk is another man's shut up. This is just the type or tip of the media spill I'm investigating. I got to stop the cover up. Uh Oh, hide. And that's when you see like a whole bunch of cameras show up like this big glob of cameras. Uh, and then there's like a super important businessman who's on his portable phone walking about. They're talking about some inconvenient facts and what are we going to do? And like everybody, he's one of these yellow characters, but he's bigger than the ones we've seen. And he's got a business suit and tie and he's got a what it looks like a TV head similar to the idiot journalist guy. And so they're like, what can we do? manufacture a villain well fine but who the government no they sign my paycheck the media no i am the media the corporations no they pull out the advertising and go bankrupt but that's blackmail or economic censorship or something so we do worse we'll just have to bury the fact under a landslide of lies and disinformation and i feel like this is supposed to parallel the the polluted yeah absolutely i do right because all of the crap that we saw earlier was probably what polluted that body of water the reason that nothing's being done about it is because, well, spoilers, we find out a corporation is polluting the water is because they're covering it up. Right. Which is what kind of this whole vignette is was all is all about. Um, 
a like George Bush like character shows up. He decides in order to uh, subvert the attention away from this, he's going to create another event that other people will pay attention to. So by doing this, he has the president, I think it's the president, uh, show up. Well, it's like a it's like a golem that shows up and they're like, oh, my God, he looks awful. Starch his hair, pump his chest, suck in that gut, pancake his face. And then you get kind of a barrel chested suit and tie. It's got kind of a narrow, long head, sort of has like a George uh, Bush look. He's definitely a George Bush alike. I feel like that's what they're going for. And they're like, okay, you got to kiss babies, toss a football. And he gets it all backwards and he kisses the football and tosses the baby, talks about national security and education. At the grand opening of this new hospital, there goes the sound, give him cue cards, and he snips his own mic. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't there. I saw nothing because he's reading the cue cards. There's no media spill. Not bad, not bad. A few goofs, says the, uh, what is the conglomerate guy? Yeah, I don't know. We'll call him conglomerate guy. He's, they call him the MC, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, manuf- yeah, stands for manufacturer of consent. So there's, there's all these little details of, uh, things that we're not really covering, but. So this this character is like, well, you know, he, he goofed up a couple times, but nobody will notice. The media dog lapped it up as usual. And that, of course, reminds me of today. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like... It's kind of like distraction yeah, sort of techniques. I agree. I think maybe we've all just become <laughs> numb to them and just accepted them. But I think, I think it was uh, fashionable in the 90s to like really bring this cynical look of media to the foreground and and there's probably it's probably more cynical what what the media was doing versus the cynical approach of looking at the media but you know that we talked about pump the volume on i think i was on a patreon episode but that's really like a big subtext of that is like all of this stuff is created to distract you from the truth from living your life from keeping you numb which i feel like was a very kind of like fight the power 90s uh sentiment so, you know, but what, what is the ultimate goal of that? Is it just to be aware? Like, is that the ultimate goal is to say, like, just just be aware of what's going on and don't get sucked into it? Or is it actually to shut it all down? Oh, boy. I I mean, in, in the movie Pump Up the Volume, it was yeah, like that's from, just from the movie. Pump sure, Up the Volume. The, Let's stay in that. The, the, the like, don't let them silence you, like say something, say anything, but just be saying things thinking about things which on the one hand is it is a nice sort of liberal message of like make yourself heard but on the other hand like i'm gonna i'm gonna take a derailment that may or may not make sense there's a uh, a documentary on netflix about flat earthers i think it might just be called flat earthers Uh, and if you haven't watched it you should it's all about documentary crew follows these various flat earth people they talk about their various experiments and they talk about the conventions that they go to their various podcasts and how serious they are and they talk about you know flight plans and all the evidence that the earth is flat and ultimately the documentary and like they get to the end and they're like okay the the earth's not flat and then they're not telling this to those people it's kind of like buttoning up the movie uh the earth's not flat the earth is round and while it's interesting to give these people a mic, let them talk, utilize their freedom of speech. There's something harmful in allowing 
bad or misinformation to continue uh, unchecked. And so when you have people saying that there's a flat earth, right, that can lead into worse things, <laughs> interestingly enough, of what we've recently witnessed in our own history of falsehoods being repeated and repeated unchecked, leading to, you know, undesired outcomes. Yeah. So I'm I'm taking that all the way back to uh, um, pump up the volume where the message there is like, don't let those old people bring you down and not let you use your voice. Say something, say anything. They don't have the asterisk of like, but you gotta like it has to be real. Like you can't just make stuff up. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so that that was uh, that was an aside, and I feel like. Yeah, you know, so maybe maybe some of that sort of um I don't know, maybe it's it's changed and just not been uh, uh, so overt as yeah, some of this criticism is. There's definitely an evolution. Yeah. So anyways, we turn our attention back to uh the polluted water. All the kids are sitting in it still. Um and they're like, oh, "I'm hungry. Somebody should go get a burger." No, we got to stay here. Kid power. Now they've they've all got uh green dots on them. Do they? Yeah. In the faraway pictures, they don't. Yeah, they do. Do they? Yep. Hmm. Maybe I'm reading it in a better copy. I think you're reading it because I don't see any of those dots. But I believe you that they're. I see specks. I just don't see them colored in as green. So, but I believe I believe what you're telling me. Okay. Uh, An old person shows up, very colorful, and he's like, "What are you kids doing here?" So, uh, ooh, attention! Right, it's beginning. What are your parents? Where are your parents? Do they know where their children are? Which I feel like is a direct quote from a uh, slogan of the day. Do you know where your it's it's oh. eight o'clock? Do you know where your child is or whatever? Yeah, I think it was. It's eight o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Yeah, because you were just sitting there all night watching TV. Do you even know what's happening in your house? Exactly. Are they doing drugs? Are they having sex? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> So now the New Mutants and Vidiot are in a desolate wasteland. Boy, it's a wasteland out here, says Boom Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and Sunspot has his own uh, free-thinking awareness or awakening and says, they think they have free, free press here, but they don't. It's like on Earth, in North America. Everyone <laughs> thinks the press is free, so they don't question it. So it's a form of double censorship. No one's trained to read between the lines, which is a little extreme. It- it it's too on the nose, right? It feels a little paranoid. Uh, it feels a little conspiracy laden. Um, maybe it's accurate. I don't. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I feel like it, it feels very cynical. Exactly. This whole issue uh, does. Anna Senti's got some things to say, and she's using these characters to get uh, that those things out there. I mean, I guess in some sense, if the idea is that no one is trained to read between the lines, that is true. That's absolutely true, that there needs to be a sort of education alongside the media that comes out with what is what, what you know, do your own research is kind of like the message that I feel like today's equivalent would be. Yeah, I just get all my information from Facebook and repost it. That's <laughs> all I do. I don't even read them. I just read the headlines. The more... uh exciting the the headline the more i post it but i don't actually read the article i just get all my information from jeremy whatever he says <laughs> is like whatever i'll, I'll believe it yeah, have you ever read the articles um 
the titles uh, that say, um, uh, have scientists cured cancer? Uh, like clickbait sort uh, of things? Are the Olsen twins gay? <laughs> whatever, like whatever sort of outlandish question. I, I re- This is probably old, but I read something somewhere like if you ever see an article that has a question, the answer is no. And don't bother reading the article. <laughs> because if scientists had cured cancer, the article would be titled scientists cure cancer. Yeah. It wouldn't be have scientists cured. Can-. So the answer is no, you don't even need to read the article because generally what the article is about is like, you know, maybe some new advances or like in 20 years, we think we might have a cure. Now, you know, so that's reading between the lines. People, I just taught you a little bit about how to discern fake news from real news. Thanks, Jeremy. Welcome. Boom Boom says, let's attack the source. You'll have to attack Megalopolis. It's on the other side of the wasteland. Just follow the muddy brown road and we start to get our Wizard of Oz parallels. Yeah, there's a Wizard of Oz parallel. And then I feel like there's also a bit of an Alice in Wonderland uh, parallel that we'll get to in a moment. Which Wizard of Oz parallels just always remind me of David Lynch. Oh. So now I'm now I'm getting all like down the probably the wrong the wrong rabbit holes right now but then i want to go back and i'm like is 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 the wizard of oz a subversive political analogy or something i wonder i don't know when did that come out in the 30s i don't know it was in color which was amazing for the time yeah 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 i think it was technicolor one of the one Mm -hmm. of the earliest colors I don't know if it was the 30s. Uh, I feel like that's a movie that you could read. It doesn't show you much, really, right? You see Al, or, um, uh, Dorothy and our characters, and somehow a wizard behind a curtain has control over Oz. So you could draw a lot of parallels. You could you could make all sorts of stories. Yeah, there's got to be some interpretations along the lines of today's political... Yeah, system or something. I don't know. I think uh, the Wizard of Oz, like what we, the movie that we saw, is just based on a selection of many stories that somebody Bauman or whatever, whatever that guy's yeah, name is, wrote. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Follow the Yellow Brick Road is like, is that like uh, capitalism? Maybe. You have to, you have to make money. <laughs> sure, got you got to spend money to make money, Adam. Yeah. So they they find the rest and fleece dollar sign, and uh, they they're in the third world where there's all of these bombs. This is where it got kind of interesting. This whole idea here, all these people, I guess natives, if you will, they're still like white or I'm sorry, yellow blobs uh, that look like all the other uh, indigenous creatures, but they live in like squalor huts and. Stuff and they're all outside and there's all these bombs and explosions happening. They don't even notice. They're they're continuing to hang up their scraps of fabric that say Nicaragua, Guatemala, which at the time were definitely uh, in the news as third world corrupt countries. This is their way of life. If the shooting ever stopped, they'd just think it was weird, which is a very negative way of looking at things. Once again, on the nose... Very right. cynical. Yep. So Warlock turns himself into a hot air balloon, whisks all of the new mutants up to the top, and we get introduced to the creature known as Mad. 
which I thought at first was two creatures, and then I realized it was one creature with another creature growing outside of it, and they are fighting each other, and one is, uh, I guess, a bear. I'm not really sure what the bear represents, but the other one is like Father America. Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam, Father America. <laughs> I'll go with it, but yeah, I was. I maybe there's more to this. I guess he's a bear. Uh, he's he's a very angry looking, hairy creature. Is a bear like a representative of Russia? They have bears. <laughs> I don't know I because don't know. the Uncle Sam character is like the Cold War is never over, and then the bear is like, and I told you that communism is dead. And so Matt is mutually assured destruction, right? Uh, and so right. this is also this is definitely this is. Uh, painfully uh, obvious that it's an analogy of of the Cold War. In fact, it says it, a U.S.-Russia stockpiling equipment saying, like, we're going to build while you're building, and if you ever attack us, we'll attack you, and then everybody's dead. Hence, mutually assured destruction. So let's not even try it. They don't trust anybody, and so, like, all of the things that are landing on this third world country are just uh, things that these guys are hurling at each other. Yeah, which is an it's kind of a neat idea. I like I like this idea the most. I think out of the entire book, I just wish that while it would have been on the nose, we would have had like like the donkey and the elephant to represent the two political parties. But instead, you have Uncle Sam and a bear. So it could have been Uncle Sam and I guess I don't know what the it's got to be. It's got to be a Russian analogy. Maybe yeah, it could of be some yeah. of some kind that I'm just not familiar with. Um, the the bear wolf guy has got like earrings which is weird and blue jeans big hoops he's got a beer gut blue jeans sneakers and he represents like communism which is weird he's got like a 50s jacket yeah with with uh the spikes coming out of it i mean do you think the 50s was certainly the height of like american patriotism and and fear of communism fear of nuclear war maybe that's what they're going for I feel like for something that's so on the nose, they could be a little more, a bit more on the nose. But maybe, <laughs> right. maybe we're just not in the right time frame to understand what this is. Whatever this is, yeah, we're missing it. Uh, Uncle Sam is like, "You're still stockpiling bombs," and the bear guy's like, "So are you." And even worse, you're a media terrorist. The more we fight, the worse the media storms are in the land below. And so they keep fighting one another. And I like the concept that they're they're one creature. I guess I don't know if there's some symbolism with the majority of the creature being the bear guy and like the minority of the character being Uncle Sam or if it was just a design choice. I, I would have liked it if they were completely split down the middle, but still constantly fighting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, either way. And then finally, Uncle Sam's like, that's it. First strike putting my finger on the button too late i already got my finger on the button so let's talk about survivability think you can survive a nuclear winter huh huh the new mutants get involved uh they start swinging their own punches until the the two heads of the beast punch each other and knock each other out it's dead it knocked itself out self-destructed double ko boom boom kisses it on the forehead, which comes back, I think, later. Yeah. It's got, they've got X's over their eyes now. Classic comics. So I guess they've, so- they've solved the Cold War. The, uh, the idiot guy puts in a gravestone that says dinosaurs, hopefully extinct. Yep. Well, now what? Let's go to Megalopolis. What for? To attack the belly of the beast, silly. 
And then we cut back to the children, and now a news team has shown up. They're still in black and white. Everything's uh, everything's in color except for the kids in the river. Uh, the news crew now has a light on them. So, so I was I was wrong. I was guessing that by the time the news crew have them, they would start being in color, but not yet. Yeah, and I also got kind of like an old timey vibe. Like, I don't know if it's just the comic book print, but I feel like like that that um i don't there must be the pattern the the newsprint graphics of them are accentuated and i get that that newsprint is basically how comic books were printed at the time but to me it feels like somehow these characters are lifted from you know uh a a more innocent time and now put into this polluted water and modern television but i don't know if that's the case Maybe maybe the black and white is supposed to represent their innocence. Could be. I don't know. They're they're not yet colored and jaded. Could be. So they make it to Melagolopolis. Megalopolis. Uh, Looks like a corporation or a factory or a missile warehouse. Maybe it's all three. Yeah, it's a bunch of dollar signs, and then there's like uh, a Capitol building with a bunch of um, uh, skyscrapers behind it. So it's, so it's everything, and there's missiles. It's everything that you just said that they described, and it's a two-page spread. Yeah, somebody shows up on the backside. Roberto says, "How about an airstrike on Megalopolis?" And the idiot says, "Oh my, how violent!" And Warlock says, "But violence is what cell friends are best at." And then we got a new character shows up. Consider the ramifications of that statement. Situation ethics at your service, and we get another guy who is split down the middle. One side's black, the other side's white. He's got some arrows with yes or no on either side. Reminds me of Star Trek. Which changes to don't and do. And I feel like this guy is supposed to represent political gridlock of like, here's an idea, but here's a counter idea. We could do this, but that'll cause that. Okay. That's kind of what I get here. It's like, you could do something, but it has this negative effect. And, and therefore, we can't, we can't do anything because anything we choose has this negative effect. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that this is essentially all his dialogue is we could do this or we could do that. But if we do this, this will happen and we do that. So this is usually the wrong choice. But then so is this. Some say meat is murder. Ethics depends on how you look at it. From a cow's point of view, it is murder. From a man, from a hot dog man's, part I don't understand. From a hot dog, from a hot dog man's point of view, meat is life. From the hot dog's point of view, meat is existence itself. I don't understand hot dog man. The hot dog vendor. Hot dog vendor? vendor? Okay. Yeah. I could have just gone with like man. Because I'm imagining like, look at that stupid hot dog eating man. Meat is life. (laughs) (laughs) But hot dog vendor makes way more sense than that. Hot dog man. I am hot dog man. (laughs) It's the new hot Marvel comic character, hot dog man. (laughs) If hot dog man doesn't exist, he should totally exist. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, they, they don't know what to do. But if you... If you won't eat meat on principle, what about your leather shoes? You hypocrite! How does one figure out if one should eat the cow? And Boom Boom looks at Roberto and says, should we eat the cow? And then Boom Boom and Roberto, and I want to say Warlock, also says, yes! And they all get an evil grin on their face and they take off into a Warlock bomber plane. And they're going to the heart of the city. 
but the ramifications morality must be considered. Neurotic college students with the disease called academia have written countless dissertations like narcissists talking into mirrors whereby they whittle concepts down to a fine point only two other people can see. And I thought that was interesting, too. It has nothing to do with anything, but it's funny. Well, I I almost think that it does because I feel like what what that's saying is that it's a it's a point of jab, jab at academics and academia and talking points out to their to they they kind of are pointless. Yes, yes, whittling the point to is so fine that maybe these two people that are arguing about it care about it, but the vast majority of folks have completely lost interest and like moved on. So like the message here is like your message has to be important, but you have to stop at a point. Like you can't keep going until it only matters to a couple of different people. You can break things down into isms, but it doesn't necessarily matter to anybody, but you. Yeah. Meanwhile, back on earth, we find out that magazine is polluting the water. Answer those phones. Stop answering those phones. Another advertiser is pulling out. Another subscription canceled. Parent company's against us. And the, the big old CEO is like, this is embarrassing. This is bankrupt. You got to clean that river. And so a PR guy shows up who's also in black and white, but has less detail than the kids did earlier. And I don't know if that's meaningful. Uh, shows up. He's like, hey, we didn't know. Uh, but now we do. So we're going to clean it. It's all good. And this is Magazine's public relations man. And his camera people, who presumably also mm, work for mm-hmm. Magazine, are also in black and white. Yeah. And the kids are there in the background. I guess representative of the uh, the plight. Well, you couldn't do a great PR shot of him without the kids in the background. Sure. Absolutely. Meanwhile, back on Megalarpoli or wherever we're at, the, uh, <laughs> the Uncle Sam uh, bear guy get up. What happened? I don't know, a little nappy poo, I guess. What's that noise? And the rock underneath them cracks and they all fall down to the wasteland where they were before. They fall into the wasteland that they'd been bombing because they were up on like this floating platform fighting one another. Right. And now they're on the ground with everybody else. All of the people down there see them and they're like, it's that thing that's been bombing us for all these years. Doesn't seem so scary up close. Oh, it seems confused and pathetic. Look at his clothes, so old-fashioned. Look on the bear's forehead, lipstick. This has been what's terrorizing us? It is only one, and we are many. Simple idea, but true. We know now, uh, we know you for what you are. It's shrinking, like it was all hot air. And they give it to the kids, and the kids chase after it. Kids, a new toy for you. I'm not sure what that's supposed to represent, but it's a neat idea. Yeah, I guess the idea is that knowledge of a thing gives you power over the thing. Maybe. Maybe they unionized. (laughs) (laughs) And they overthrew the, I don't know. So they're following the bottom line, which is literally a line uh, in in the dollar capital missile town. Nice driving, warlock. And they end up at like a Washington Monument looking place. It is a very tall altar slash church. Um, we get another full-page spread where there are several windows, burning bowls inside of each of the windows. I feel dwarfed. What about all the money signs? And the 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 species here feel like they're all wearing tourist shirts. They all have 
very colorful. I feel like Hawaiian shirts. One of them says Africa. Another one says Waki. So I don't know if these are supposed to be tourists or what. On the next page, they say Warsaw, Berlin, Salvador. So Mm. they're all representation of countries for some reason. We get a giant symbol of eagles and red, white, and a blue stripe. Although I get kind of a Nazi vibe from this whole thing, but well, it's a crossover, a dollar sign. So take of of what you will of that. <laughs> As in greed we trust, but then there's like hammer and sickle below it, and then you got more eagles. I think it's the black S with the lines kind of gives it a swastika feel. I don't know if that's intentional or not. I feel like. It's got to be intentional. It's got uh, eagle's wings. It's got a flag with stars behind it. It's a very confused uh, symbol of of whatever's happening here. It's got all the things. Yep. The almighty dollar rules over uh, apparently Christianity and all uh, cultures or or, uh, nations. I gather. I don't know. (laughs) Somebody says, get off the altar or be terminated. And I really wanted it to be Mojo. I was like, Mojo's going to show up. Yeah, I I actually thought this would be a Mojo story, too. Mm -hmm. Feels like it should Uh be. Yeah. But it's not. So then we turn our attention back to Earth, uh, like a journalist who's in color. No, not a journalist, a scientist who's in color, is testing the pH of the water, and the water's getting cleaner. So I got to wonder if... Black and white is to symbolize innocence. It doesn't really account for the PR guy and the camera. No, I, I think that means that it doesn't. I think you're, that, that, that theory was incorrect. I just wonder if this guy's in color and all those other elements were in black and white, like, is the water really getting cleaner or is he just like, I'm here for show. We did some things and now the water's getting cleaner. Or is the water truly getting cleaner? I don't know. <laughs> So the cameraman here is like, you guys have held a huge corporation hostage. How do you feel? The great. Kid's like, great. It's a powerful medium. Got people that or got people. It's it's time the people got access to it, to its power, and use it to help the world, especially because we're kids. And they start to get some shading, mm-hmm. and the shading has color. So they're starting they're starting to fill out, and then in the very last panel, they're all full color. Uh, we're taking part in things that bug us, and watch out, because next we're going to demand the right to vote. And it's it's a uh, African American child saying that, so I don't know if it's like we're kids now and we're going to be adults soon, or I'm black and I'm going to get the votes. I don't know, but a message is being made here, and I'm not entirely sure what it is. And then they turn colored. I think all of those things are correct. Uh, they do, they do wipe off the spots, which mm-hmm. makes me think they're, maybe they're also wiping off the black and whiteness of themselves. Oh, maybe. As though they put that over themselves, but I still don't know what that black and white represents. That, having that PR man is what's throwing me off. Exactly. If the PR man was in color, then I think we could completely go with that theory. But since he was in black and white, and not just like, oh, he's silhouetted in black and white, but purposely in black and white, I don't know what the symbolism there means. Meanwhile, if you were wondering what happened to Rain, uh, she's got a date with PC, or she's... Not that she's married. I mean, she got sort of. Married she's, and kids? She, yeah, she's in the the, the perfect uh, family unit. She's got a husband and two kids and um, a TV on the wall. So I feel like... Uh, no, is it a TV on the wall or is it a picture of them? I don't know. I thought it was a TV of them. 
Um, that's, that's you could be right because it does have kind of the beveled edges of a TV. But I thought it had been way more meta if it's just a uh, a picture of a picture of a picture of a picture of what they're doing right now. Well, a TV is just a picture. Sure. Really. So he's like, uh, uh, we're politically correct. Like the sculpture behind you, it's recycled garbage. Everything we own is biodegradable. What more could a girl want? I know it's all perfect, but I still feel so empty. And then we, we pull out and, it, and they're just on a set and there's a camera and lights and everything. And then everything around them is like a whole bunch of garbage. So they're, they've created like this perfect recycled utopia in this little spot while everything else around them is all garbage filled. And I sort of feel like and the Senti's like, well, I've been really giving it to the right in this episodes or this issue. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to ding the left here for their you know high and mighty political correctness. Well, I think she's been dinging the left all along because after all, if we're talking about like, knocking the media, mm. that's pretty much knocking the left. Yeah. So she, she gives it to both sides. Uh, and then hey, you're right. It is a TV. So the frame of them turns into aliens have landed. Souvenir tapes cost fifty nine ninety five. Call one eight hundred you jerk. One nine hundred you jerk. One nine hundred you jerk. You got to pay like a dollar a minute to call that number. <laughs> she sees uh, the new mutants. They're storming the palace. Look how ugly they are. Those are my friends, darling. There's still dessert, seaweed, and tofu pie. Ha ha ha! You liberal organic lefty. <laughs> did, you see, did you see there was a movie that came out recently that attacks both sides um the the idea is that it's like it's the idea is that uh conservatives hunt people uh, for sport okay. it, was, it was a movie that came out last year and uh and it equally attacks both sides and i don't know it's an interesting movie i think it's called the hunted okay you should check it out okay anyway Back to our story. Rain says, I'm out of here. She turns into a wolf uh, and takes off. Turns out the kids uh, are not their kids. They are from Rent-A-Kid. Remember, darling, we got them from Rent-A-Kid. And so the angry troops with helmets and looks like suits. They're like, last chance, give it up. We have a message for your people. Just give us a voice. They won't give up. Charge. So they... Uh, Oh, uh, Sunspot's like, not if we charge first. And that's when Indecision shows up, or whatever his name is. Polit- or Ethics. Bureaucracy. Yeah. You must weigh the pros and cons. So he gets in the way. And uh, Sunspot's like, look, sometimes you just got to fight. And then they have a full-page spread fight. And that's when uh, Rain shows up. And they're like, where you been? She's like, I've been sidetracked. And that's where I got the whole Alice in Wonderland vibe. It felt like she was at, the, at like a 90s tea party. <laughs> uh it's a revolution and they find out that there is a big fat man behind a crown with a crown who's directing all of the troops and stuff i thought for sure this would be mojo just like you thought mojo was <laughs> earlier right totally it'd have been amazing we're getting nowhere uh those troops are endless hey what's baby vidiot up to who's he i don't know Look at this. And it's the secret tapes button, which he pushes. And I guess that broadcasts all the dirt on everybody. Her purpose is to amass, homogenize. Dominate. Uh, dominate and. and Devo. De- devour. Devour. Sure. Our purpose is to amass. Yeah, but it just repeats. I mean, it just repeats. Yeah. yeah. 
Self friends, armies fading, their holograms were fighting nothing. What a waste. And that's when the guy behind the curtain says, uh, don't pay no attention to me. <laughs> pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You're on a power trip. And Wayne unplugs the power and everybody disappears. Well, they, they blow up his crown. Warlock pops his suspenders off. So now he's all disheveled and his pants are around his ankles. And the citizens are laughing. And they're like, the emperor's got no clothes on. And then they get warped back to their TV, which they burst out of. The, and, the mutant saved us from the media mogul. And they're like, oh, man, we learned a lesson. Let's get rid of all the TVs. So they take all the TVs and they take them out back. And they're they're playing and, and Boom Boom's riding Warlock like a bicycle. And, and they head out to the water. And the, the uh, rain here is kids splashing in the water. Uh-oh, we better go warn them about the pollution. I hope they didn't drink it. And they're all playing in the water. And they're like, hey, that water's polluted. And they're like, no, it isn't. And they're like, how'd you clean it? And they're like, the TV did it. Television cleaned the uh, river. I guess you could put it that way. And they all look at each other and they go bring their TVs back to their destroyed mansion. Yep. I'll make popcorn. Do we save the guide? Self has guide memorized. Self's favorite show, Twin Peaks, is on tonight. Ooh, we can find out who killed Laura Palmer. I know who did it. They all killed her because nobody did, because her soul escaped and went into Donna. It's sinful to think so. I know, and Cooper's going to marry Audrey. And Shut up, Rain, you'll ruin it. And I think Rain's mostly onto it, except for Laura escaping into Donna's body. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I, that's an interesting interpretation. They they all killed her, but nobody did, mm-hmm. because her soul escaped mm-hmm. and went into Donna. So, I mean, that's perfectly... I, I even buy that. Why yeah. not? Donna is sort of a representation of, of where Laura's soul went into. Cooper did not marry Audrey, though. I think that was that was what they were angling toward. Maybe not marriage, but they definitely wanted some steamy stuff happening until uh, Kyle MacLachlan's like, she's way too young. I don't like this. <laughs> and then the, they threw in that love, other love interest that went nowhere. What no, was her was name? It? That was, it was Heather Graham. It was Heather Graham, yep. She showed up for like a scene in Firewalk With Me. I never saw Firewalk With Me. I've seen all of Twin Peaks except for Firewalk With Me, which I know is stupid. So this issue is over. Um, yeah, we get a pinup gallery. Um, I did want to touch on Twin Peaks real quick. More Brett Blevins stuff. But let's let's talk about the pinups. We see the, the new mutants in their river watching TV. And then we just see like a random Brett Blevins pinup. And them kind of falling through space. And then we get a... A pinup of the uh, the mad mm-hmm. bear and Uncle Sam. Special thanks to Ben Bagdikian, who I don't know who that is. Noam Chomsky, Chomsky, who I'm aware of. I don't know any of the other ones. Walter Lippmann sounds familiar. Marshall McLuhan, Mark Hertzgard, and all the other media theorists out there. So I believe that those, I bet you if you look up every one of those, they probably have a catalog of books all devoted to, like, media. As far as I know, Noam Chomsky invented the phrase talking heads, and that's the only thing I really know about Noam Chomsky. Okay. Um, Twin yeah. Peaks. Twin Peaks. Uh, we, 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 didn't we, did we talk about the return on the Patreon? I think we probably talked about it as it was happening. Yeah. I mean, and we don't need to go back and, and rehash that conversation. But uh, it was interesting. So uh, Red Letter Media recently did like a, a return 
review type of a thing, a sit down, talked about it very seriously. Uh, and it got me thinking they, they drew a bunch of, cause they watch all that crap multiple times and then they talk about it and usually very educated about what they're talking about. Um, and it reminded me that when I watched the return, I was waiting spoilers, by the way, uh, I was waiting every episode for Dale Cooper to spring into action. Yeah, and, and he doesn't. And he, and I had a feeling that that was sort of not going to happen. Well, after like the fourth episode where you're like, okay, he's out of the red room. <laughs> he's stupid. Things keep happening. I'm like, like uh, David Lynchian, things keep happening. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this, but any moment now, he's going to have a sip of coffee. He's going to have a piece of pie. He's going to see a picture of Laura. Something's going to happen and he's going to be like, oh my God, FBI, we got to get to Twin Peaks. Uh, and, and it doesn't happen until like the second to last episode of an 18 episode season. He does have coffee and pie early on, though, but it doesn't bring him back. No, he's like coffee, and he's like, but he never gets out of Dougie. Uh, yeah, and and I think that that colored it for me because I was watching and waiting every episode for my Twin Peaks to come back. As was everybody else, yep. as David Lynch knew exactly it, that yep. everybody else would be, and that's why he didn't do it. Yep, and and I I don't know that that's a bad thing. So I'm actually contemplating uh, rewatching the return because now my expectations have been set. Like I don't like I know what's going to happen. So can I now watch it, understanding that Dale Cooper is not going to be there until episodes 17 and 18, and will I enjoy it more? <laughs> probably but also i feel like it could have done with an edit <laughs> it's a bit, it runs a bit long there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really go anywhere and a lot of it is like feels like david lynch just using modern celebrities to fill out stuff that doesn't really go anywhere well it's it's david lynch right so he probably called up michael sarah was like you want to be in twin peaks and michael sarah's like yeah well, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> right, so, I mean, that's that's how he got all those people. You're right, like, he shows up and he's, uh, uh, oh, God, I can't remember their name. He's the kid of of the sheriff's receptionist and the deputy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Names I, he's got I can't a remember. Or something. And he's, like, doing a um, Orson Welles impression. Is it Orson Welles? I don't know. Uh, well, he's, he's doing some celebrity impression. I'm like, what is happening here? And it doesn't seem to mean anything. It doesn't seem to matter. It just happens. I think collectively, all of these celebrity cameos that don't get, go anywhere mean something. Right. To David Lynch. Probably. Absolutely. But I also feel like David Lynch loves creating things that are open to interpretation. Yes, I agree with that. One of the, and the thing that reminded me of that and made me want to kind of bring it up is you mentioned that you didn't see Fire Walk with me. And a lot of people watch Firewalk with me and they're like, me, you know, because it kind of retells the story you already know, but it does kind of fill out some other things and introduces some new ideas. Got David Bowie in it. This must be good. So that David Bowie character is like, you watch Firewalk with me and you're like, it's weird. I don't know what it means, but they connect that in The Return. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> unlike Star Wars, David Lynch watched all of his material and was like, oh, I never I never finished that idea. Let me bring it over here. Even though David Bowie's dead, I'll connect it to like a plant or something. And uh, I don't know, things like that. Uh, there's a there's a scene where they're talking about um, the arm uh, and Bob. I think it's the arm and Bob lived above a gas station. 
And that gas station was the, the gas station from that one episode, episode eight or whatever, with all the nuclear explosion and got a light and everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's, that's friggin' weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's kind of cool that, you know, not, you could, you could probably watch the first season up until they discover Laura Palmer's, Palmer's killer, skip everything else until the series finale. Watch Firewalk with me, then watch The Return and have almost a new experience based on what you learn in The Return. Yeah. So, anyways, you should watch Firewalk. Which I, with me. I, which I think was the point. The uh, the like there's there's also a couple of the books that Mark Frost wrote. Yeah. That gives another ton of information. I've, I've not read either of them, but they supposedly they're they're quite good. I haven't read those either, and I'm told that uh, David Lynch is mixed on on them. Well, I think David Lynch is mixed on anything that gives answers. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, the other thing, they, they showed some behind the scenes. So I guess it's all available on DVD, and I think there's a ton of like behind the scenes background material. And and the couple scenes they showed were of David Lynch throwing a couple fits that, like, we only have like a day here. I want four days here, and I want to play around and, and experiment. And <laughs> that probably didn't help with getting probably everything he wanted to get to, to cut down to, to the 18 episodes. So maybe that's why there's some stuff that doesn't seem to go anywhere or doesn't seem fully realized. I don't know. Musicals at the end of every episode. I liked that. I liked it too because it was interesting, but it I felt like it didn't connect to anything. It didn't. No. I mean, uh, it was, it was made as like an 18 hour movie. And I think what they did is they, they sort of found some places where like, well, we can end an episode here. Let's put music. And that's, right. that's our bookend. And you're right. The only thing it really connects to is, uh, Donna's, is it Donna's story or no, Audrey's story. Audrey's story. Where, which, yeah. Which, which is super is weird. Somehow I'm very unsatisfying. I'm not, I can, I'm not going to say it here because you can just go watch it. I would watch the red letter media review part two. I'm not going to watch that one just cause I don't, I don't want to know what red letter media. There's some, some things I don't watch of theirs and I do it mainly because I don't, I don't want to know what they, because their, their opinions usually are, are good, but they're also, I don't want to be influenced on right. certain things. So, and I think, I think that's something that I wouldn't want to be influenced on. I don't watch their stuff if I'm about to watch that movie and I definitely don't watch their stuff. If we're going to talk about whatever that context content yeah. is. Um, and the theory around Audrey is something that Jay regurgitates. That's from the internet. So you could probably just go find the internet. I think theory. a lot of the stuff that he, he regurgitates is from the internet. I don't know. I have a love hate relationship with the red letter media. <laughs> I, I can tell. Um, well, anyways, yeah, that's all I got to say. On, on Twitter. It was interesting that they, they, there was the, I mean, I, but I guess in early nineties, Twin Peaks was everywhere. It was, it, yeah, it was heavily influential. Yeah. I don't know that, I wonder, I don't know if a lot of people watched it or if they were just like culturally aware of Laura Palmer was murdered and it was a mystery. I think it was both. Um, I think a lot of people were culturally aware of it, but I think a lot of people also watched it. I, I don't think a lot of people made it to the end. Let me put it that way. Yeah. But I think a lot of people were made like, you know, you got to watch this Twin Peaks thing. And a lot of people probably watched that first episode or watched whatever the current episode was. And Think about that in a, in a time where 
episodes are serial and things that happen for episodes matter for this episode and you don't have like a Netflix <laughs> and you just got to like jump in cold and be like, man, I started at episode five. I can't wait for summer rerun so I can catch those first four episodes. <laughs> uh, what a dark time. <laughs> uh, if you want to tell us about your media theories and junk, reach out to us at www.xmenpodcast.com. Go out to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or Twitter us at danger room go, or you can email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes to subscribe to us, leave us some stars uh, or feedback or go out to, uh, well, and go out to www.patreon.com forward slash danger room where you can listen to all sorts of interesting I don't know if I want to call them pop culture, but definitely media-related things. Some of it having to do with X-Men, a lot of it having to do with Doctor Who, Star Wars, Marvel movies. Star Trek. Star Trek. Other movies. Greasy Strangler. Greasy Strangler. So many good things. Uh, that's out at patreon.com forward slash danger room. And our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Let's... uh. Let's crank through these Marvel superheroes and annuals. Well, I'll tell you this. Everything we're covering is eight pages. So we're, cover, we're going to cover one, two, three, four, five eight-page stories. Plus, I'll give a brief synopsis of Silver Surfer, the Enslavers. Why don't I do that first? There's two that I want to cover, cover somewhat in depth, and that would be the Jean Grey story and the Doug Ramsey spoilers story. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, those, are, those are probably the best of the bunch. Let's talk to me about the silver surfer thing because i looked it up in marvel unlimited uh it says it's by stanley did stanley actually write this tome i'm not entirely sure i think what happened there's a at the very end of it it gives stanley gives like a couple of paragraphs about what happened and what it seems like happened is that they said hey do you want to work with this artist who i forgot because i read it like four weeks ago but uh stanley was like yeah i want to work with that artist so they they sat down and they and Stanley cranked out a story uh, to develop. It was around the Silver Surfer, and then like four years happened, and uh, Stanley didn't think about it after that. This guy kind of went away with it, did his own thing, came back four years later and said, "Okay, I finished it, and is ready." And then gave it. And Stanley was like, "Well, this wasn't what I wrote, but I guess I'll I'll figure this out and I'll turn this into a, a thing." And that's so. I think he wrote the dialogue, but I think the plot was mainly based on a Stanley idea that got turned into something else. There's a, this definitely did not make it past the Marvel uh, or the comics code rather. I think this is like a graphic novels type of thing. So it probably didn't have to. There's some like super graphic, like not flat out nudity, but super subject suggestive scenes about silver surfer and Shala Bal. Which begged questions, right? They're in bed. She takes off her clothes and she's naked. Silver Surfer's always naked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I think he has underpants. Like he has oh, those like kind silver of underpants. Uh, yeah, the the underwear superhero underwear that people wear. Okay. So I think he uh, and I he probably has cosmic powers that enable them to reappear or disappear <laughs> whenever he needs to wash them. Oh, I thought you meant his junk. Oop! I'm gonna need it tonight. Better make it appear. <laughs> no, I meant the underwear, but oh, I okay. suppose that could also work. I mean, he could have just have like a, a Ken doll there. <laughs> Who knows? So I thought that was, I was like, man, this is super risque for, I feel like it's super risque for Stanley, but I think he didn't, he also make barbed wire. 
It's the 90s, man. Yeah, barbed wire was filthy. Yeah, so what do I know? He was a filthy old man by that point. <laughs> Stan Lee, he could be filthy. Anyways. <laughs> God love him. Uh, so Silver Surfer, the Enslavers, is about this group of people called the Enslavers who go around enslaving people. They're they're uh, like on the level of Galactus, um, and Galactus apparently has never met up with them and purposely avoids them because they don't want to see what happens. Uh so they invade and enslave the entire earth, including all of the superheroes. The main enslaver guy who is this big fat dude has a super giant spaceship that is bigger than the earth and is powered by all the, the people that he enslaves. Um, and that's how all his power comes from those he enslaves and it kind of just keeps going. So he gets all these superheroes and all the superheroes get together. And Wolverine's there and Colossus is there and all the X-Men are there. And they're like, I'm Wolverine and I'm not really written very well, but that's okay because I'm Wolverine. And, you know, he tries to fight and, and stab the bad guy, but the bad guy is able to beat all of the superheroes, enslaving them and superhero, uh, superhero. Silver Surfer saves the day. That's essentially what the story is about. Yeah. It's fun just for the cameos of the dude, the the X-Men and other superheroes being there and getting pummeled. But they don't really do much of anything else. Yeah, I, I only found like a panel and Colossus was on the front of it and I was flipping through it. I think I, I probably just got caught off guard by the, the love scene. I was like, man, I don't need to read anymore. I've seen the good stuff. Yeah, there is a there is a love scene. It's not with Shalabal, but it's no. with somebody disguised as Shalabal. I don't know how I know as much as I know about Silver Surfer, which I feel like is very little, but as soon as I saw that name, I'm like, oh, that's his girlfriend who died. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute, his name's Norrin Rad. How do I know that? <laughs> How do I know all this stuff about Silver Surfer? His girlfriend never died as far as I know, oh, no. although I think they have a weird relationship with Mephisto, so maybe she did. At the, I thought there was some tragedy at that. I think that the tragedy is that in order to save his planet, he became Galactus's whatever... And now he can no longer see Shalabal or something. He was like horrified that. or something. Something, yeah. That's the same as death. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why they can't see each other, and they're all convoluted. He gets trapped on Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, they get removed from their planet. It's all a lot of stuff. Uh, Marvel superheroes uh, issue one. So Marvel superheroes. I'm trying to figure out what these are. These are like eighty page, eight page stories so there's like 10 stories per issue it feels like making more money like you didn't get enough stories out of marvel comics presents well now we're gonna do this semi-monthly or semi-yearly marvel superheroes comic book i feel like this is like the summer issue or something what what i remember of marvel superheroes was there they have they had pretty good covers Maybe not this number one. I, I own the second one, but as I was reading the story, the rogue story, I'm like, I don't remember ever reading this. <laughs> so, but I own it. Um, I Yeah. I, I don't know if you're at the comic book store and it's the year end and there's a 80 page $3 comic that's got one or two of your favorite characters. Yeah, it's cool. You buy it probably. But I, I also feel like none of these stories matter. No, well, I didn't read any of the other stories other than the magic story, and the magic story is neat. Like I don't, I don't know that we need to do a page by page of it, but no, it's it's not set in the '90s. It's set sometime before Inferno, but after Magus took over Limbo. 
So with a little bit more research, we could probably pinpoint. Oh, and, and Magneto is the headmaster. Um, but a woman shows up who's like, hey, I've been alive for 500 years because Belasco kidnapped me in limbo and made me a sorceress. I need you to help me. I need you to make me mortal so that I can finally die. And I was like, there's got to be a twist. And there never was. Not really. She was legit. That yeah. was her story. Oh, and the other interesting thing is she wears like, uh, instead of a yellow and black Charlie Brown shirt, it's a green and black oh, yeah. Charlie Brown shirt. I was going to mention that. She's dressed like Charlie Brown for some reason. Yeah. So they, they head out to Mad, or to, uh, to Limbo and, and Magic's like, oh man, I don't rule, Ma- uh, Limbo, but I guess we can do that. And, and they, they, they've got Belasco's, um, pentagram, uh, pendant. They make it to Belasco's tower. They find his library. They find a spell. They cast the spell, but in the middle of casting it, like, uh, Magic is kind of floating with a circle of protection around her because she's playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, she tells uh, the the woman like you, you can't let the spell be interrupted otherwise it's erased from the page this is our one shot and Sim barges in with a whole bunch of demons and he recognizes her yeah. and uh, she attempts to defend herself and eventually magic gets out of it and says it's done she's mortal now and then she gets killed just as Sim is hurling a spear at Mare I guess her name is uh, it hits her in the chest. She teleports back to the mansion, and Magneto's like, "I'm sorry, she's gonna die." It's healers' day off. <laughs> That's right. We got all these healers, but they're all on vacation. Uh, yeah, and then she quotes a little bit of Romeo and Juliet, and she's like, "Oh man, this is good. This is exactly what I wanted. Don't worry about it." And then Eliana's like, "Oh, and she's sad." Yeah. No, so, I mean, it's a good story. It just yeah, has it's a good story. No bearing on anything but it certainly uh could have happened i wonder if these are one shots that were written for marvel comics presents that they didn't have space for they're, they're, that's a lot of things to be coming out like on a rec- like like this like issue one is the spring issue issue two is the summer issue so these come out quarterly well hear me out because at this point there's 52 issues of marvel comics presents so yeah. if you've got even like one of these that gets cut for pages every issue. You've got fifty stories, and yeah, if it's that's true. you know if it's every other, you got twenty five, and if it's every quarter, then you've got you know like twelve or something like that. And so maybe the first Marvel superheroes was completely like, oh my god, we got all these stories, let's publish it. And then when they get to Marvel superheroes two, they're like, oh man, we don't have any extra stories, guys. Quick, make <laughs> some stories. Yeah. Uh, because this rogue story is interesting. It should be that they're all one-offs. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas in Marvel Comics Present, you have multiple parters. These are all one-offs. There's one-offs in Marvel Comics Presents. I know, I know. But mostly, there's there's always a multi-parter. There's up to three one-offs in yeah. Marvel Comics Presents, but there's usually only one or two. I just wonder if they, like, just kept the one-offs going because they're like oh we never know when we're going to need a one-off it's certainly a possibility right and then they just have like this big library of one-offs like yeah let's make a book uh in this one a man who's very handsome is running around central park so is rogue she's exercising checking out the the hot guys and she finds out that she can touch this man and not absorb his powers yeah and she's she's like Whoa. Pretty excited about that. That's amazing. She tries it again, and it still works. <laughs> but meanwhile, this guy keeps getting picked up by his sister, who we find out is Mystique, 
And this guy's not a guy. He's a he's a robot made by the machinist. Yeah. Apparently, which makes me wonder, like, you're rogue. <laughs> Do you remember how human skin feels? Because I want to know how, like, fleshy the machinist builds this robot. He's just like cold rubber, but or because that's a possibility, and Rogue just doesn't remember. She's just so shocked that she can touch somebody that she has no idea that she's like, this feels a lot like rubbery plastic. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they, they they start meeting up a lot, and they slowly start to fall in love. Well, even early on, the robot guy's like, Rogue's beautiful. You know, she's he's developing feelings and mystiques like, oh, you're just a machine. Uh, you got to lure and back to me and get her away from those goody goody X-Men. And uh, ultimately, they do fall in love under a, a, a city lamppost. They embrace. They share a kiss. Uh, Rogue. Rogue cries a little bit. Uh, his sister comes to pick her up and she's like, oh, this is so weird that she won't let me meet uh, his or he won't let me meet his sister. Uh, and as Wolverine would say, if it's too good to be true, or telling me you can't ever be too careful, darling, not in our business. And that's where she gets skeptical and she goes to check it out. And then we get a funny looking uh, Wolverine kind of thought balloon where Wolverine appears in her thoughts above her head and looks very distraught. He looks overweight. He looks like he just got stabbed with a sword or something. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, uh, the robot guy here is telling Mystique, like, I care for her. Yeah, I, I'm not doing your bidding anymore. In fact, I'm going to run away with Rogue, so sorry. Well, he pulls out a gun. He's like, if you stop me, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, put the gun away. Can I command it? And she's like, I don't want to hurt you, mother. Don't call me mother. You've betrayed me. He's going to tell her the truth. Yeah. That he he's a robot. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then Rogue smashes in and she's like, get away from our mystique. And that's when the beans are spilled. And for some reason, Rogue uh, turns herself into Blob for a minute. Mystique turns herself into Blob for a minute, which is, oh, yeah, oops. you're right. It's completely random. Yeah. And, and Rogue's like, don't shape change. That won't make anything difference. Like, I saw you shape change. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I know you're not the Blob. I'm right here. Oh, oh, Blob, where did you come from? <laughs> How dumb do you think I am? Rogue is furious and picks up a car and throws it at Mystique, uh, Mystique who dodges it and instead it hits Robot Man, whose name is Ken. Yep. Ken Donald, maybe? Robot. <laughs> oh, no! Rogue, Rogue, help me. So I imagine like every conversation earlier was like, Rogue, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh, I love you too, Ken. Uh, she's like, oh, no, you're a robot. I love you. I am sorry. Oh, Ken, it wasn't your fault. And Mystique feels she needs to prove herself to Rogue. So she touches Rogue, letting Rogue absorb her psyche and thoughts, memories. Now do you understand why I did what I did? And Rogue says no, but yes, sort of. First she says no. And then she says, I forgive you, Mystique, but my life is my own. And I did understand. Now, goodbye. But, yeah, Robot Man's dead. Yep. Ken. Ken the robot. Rogue reverts to herself as Rogue, interestingly. No name yet. Doesn't she always refer to herself as Rogue? Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have a name. Yet. Yet. Yeah. You, she wouldn't have one here. I wonder in, in as when they were coming up creating comics, right, giving a bad guy that Rogue started off with as uh 
a name was probably second. Like, eh, we don't care about her backstory. She's just a bad person. But when Rogue joined the team, I felt like they went out of their way to not, like, tell us what her name was. I wonder if it happens after Claremont. I guess we'll find out. And so Wolverine, it makes sense, right? They're trying to create a mystery. Like, we don't even know his name for a while. Then we learn it's Logan. Ooh, a secret's been revealed, but we don't know his last name. And then they did that with Rogue. And I was like, well, is it because Rogue doesn't want anybody to know her name? She doesn't know her name? Does everybody just know her name, but nobody refers to her as her name? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. But I wonder, like, the comics creator, did they just have, like, I don't, like, she's Rogue. I don't know what her real name is because... I haven't found a name that fits her or, oh, it's a mystery and that'll sell comics. Just, I guess I wonder what the motivation of, um, of that was. doesn't matter. All right. I think they just didn't think of it. So the, the timeline for this issue, by the way, mm-hmm. is, uh, is with kind of like, I don't know. Do we have anything to release? I mean, other than rogues hair is very early rogue hair. It's, it's early rogue hair, but it's not like the earliest rogue hair. So it, I feel like it's hard to say. It's, I don't know. And Mystique, presumably, I mean, we, we learned the Mystique's, the, the whole reason Mystique did this was so she, she could somehow get Rogue away from the X-Men. So it's still along that time period where Rogue is, uh, Mystique is trying to get Rogue away from the X-Men. We could assume that it's, it's pretty early on, uh, yeah. her leaving the Brotherhood to join the X-Men. Yeah. Okay. Uh, New Mutants number six, annual number six, tribute to the second. Well, let's do X Factor. I, I want to save that for last, even though it's called tribute to the first. Yeah, tribute the first should come before. All right, we'll do tribute the second. But there's no first. sequence. There's like, these stories don't connect. One of them's tribute the first. The other one's tribute the second. They're both written by Peter David. Clearly, one is meant to <laughs> be read first. But whatever, we'll we'll do tribute the second. Yeah, but one's better than the other. Okay, fine. In the other X annuals, was there Tribute the Third and Tribute the Fourth? No. Peter David just wrote the two backup stories for these two X annual X uh yeah, X annuals. Uh Chris Claremont wrote the Uncanny X Men one that we already covered, which was the Jubilee story where Franklin shows up. So Doug is dead. And he is a ghost <laughs> sitting on this his is Doug. grave. Doug is dead. Yep. And he's hanging out with some other dead people. Uh, and the one thing I don't, I guess I don't know, the one thing I don't really like about this story, like we'll get into it a little bit here about about what's happening and, and some of the ideas, what you do like, but there's no payoff. Like, Doug, you're still here because you won't let go. And as soon as you let go, then then you can, you can, you know, I don't know, ascend or whatever. The payoff is this idea that as long as you don't let go, you're dragging your friends down with you. Right. But there's no, like Doug and these people are just here always. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds horrible. Well, you know, until you get recreated or, or resurrected. So, it, yeah, the story is pretty simple. Like he's just getting lectured about like, um, you're not letting go of your, your love on earth. And you and I had talked a little bit about this, like, wait a minute, there was something between Doug and rain. And this is a story that I guess fills in that void a little bit. So I feel like that story was shoehorned in because they knew they were going to kill off Doug. So they're like, let's make Doug and rain love interests just briefly so that we give rain some sort of motivation to 
have something to, to write about. <laughs> and I feel like either in this annual or a recent story, Rain is like, oh, I miss Doug or Doug died. Yeah. And we commented on it on the podcast. Yeah. yeah because she's like, oh, but Victor or uh, Richter. And that, that, that ties into the story here a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the thought is, is that because Doug won't, he's dead, but, and won't let go of his feelings towards Rain, that's keeping Rain from letting go and moving on with her life, which is an interesting concept. Yeah. And the other ghosts are trying to convince Doug to stop feeling sorry for himself and like, let, let the people go, let yeah. it, let his, the people that he's holding back go specifically rain who shows up at his grave. And, and one of the ghosts is like rain, the names folks give their kids today. She got a brother named, or she got a brother named snow who sells cocaine. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's a good line. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Knock it off guys. And, and so he's like, Oh, rain. I just want to let you know that I love you. And if I just had another chance, I could show you. And, and they're like, Oh, you got to stop it. Like, look at her. She's crying. She's so sad. And you're just, keeping her stuck in this feeling and she likes whispering she's like whispering to herself or talking in her head or something and the ghost can read her but doug can't and the guy says uh you're she's talking about how she hopes it's okay to with doug that she wants to maybe there's this guy that she likes named victor and maybe she wants permission to date this victor guy and doug's like no she can't have my permission I'm not alive. It's not fair. I don't deserve this. Yeah. And then hooligans show up. Hooligans show up and they start disrespecting graves. Yeah. And the ghosts are like, stop it. But the, you know, the kids can't hear them because they're ghosts. And Rain, uh, who's a mutant and a superhero, gets like taken by surprise and kind of beaten up by them. She's distraught. I guess. And she's being assaulted by ghosts. She turns into a werewolf and, and scares the kids off. And uh, she's about to, like, kill one of the kids or tear his face off. And uh, Doug is like, don't back off, Rain. Let her go. And that's when the wolf is like, oh, she can see me. And the ghost says, no, but animals have senses and they know they know where we are. So and Doug has a big, long conversation with the wolf. He says, you mustn't stay in this form too long. Otherwise, you can get trapped this way, which was news to me. Yeah, I didn't know if this was a callback of, like, a limitation of your power, Rain. If you stay a wolf for too long, you'll be stuck that way forever. I don't remember that. Yeah. But, so he basically lets go and finally and says, like, let, you know, think of me now and again. Even love me from a distance. But, you know, move on. I want you to. It's cool. And we get an expression from the dog of, I think, uh, appreciation or acceptance or something howls at the moon causes another dog to howl which i don't understand the symbolism there oh i think it's just a letting go is i have no idea <laughs> i i heard that thank you and thank all of your friends for me too so i don't because rain howls another dog howls and then a third dog howls yeah there's your dog friends she's howling around the neighborhood oh like i'm free <laughs> Doug's letting me go I always like the uh, the Family Guy episode where the dogs are barking at each other. They're they're in houses and they're barking at each other, like but dogs do. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, it's it's Brian, so he speaks English and you know what they're saying. And he's like, "Hey, hey, I'm a dog. Are you a dog? Yeah, I'm a dog too. Oh man, that's great. I'm also a dog." That's what I imagine they're all saying. 
my my dogs uh, bark. I have three of them, and whenever the mailman shows up, FedEx man, Amazon man, person <laughs> I should say, uh, shows up, they bark. And our joke in the house is that they're just aggressively saying hi. <laughs> so we replace their barking with hi, 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 which we probably got from that Family Guy episode. I don't remember. <laughs> They do a lot of funny dog stuff. I like all their dog stuff because it, it feels like if you ever owned a dog, mm-hmm. you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's true. There's one episode where, where the family's in the back of a van and everybody's just having a normal conversation and Brian's just kind of like wobbling back and forth. And they're like, Brian, what's wrong? He's like, I don't know. I'm a dog. Because <laughs> when you have a dog in a car, they're just like uh, completely off balance. It's funny. Uh, so so dog is let go. And, and the story kind of opened up with them wanting to know if they – Doug wanted to play cards and, and Doug is now ready to play cards. And uh, that's when Ted's like, so who's got cards? You wouldn't happen to have a deck of cards on you, would you? Most of the time, these these are like limbo stories, right? Of your st- or purgatory. You're stuck in purgatory because you've, you're dead. You haven't let go of something and you can't move on to the next stage until you let go. This story says you can solve your problem and let go, and now you're going to be stuck in this graveyard without a deck of cards with two other guys for eternity. <laughs> it sounds awful. Well, you know, maybe they all need to solve their problems. Maybe. Maybe just letting go is all they need. Now that they've solved their problems, they can be cool as ghosts. Maybe. Maybe they flit between existences. We get a, a two-page Rob Liefeld uh, pinup, I guess. So it's a, a glimpse to the future. We saw one timeline for the new moons this ish. Here's another that you, may occur sooner than you think. I had this issue because I flipped to this and I was like, I have seen this before. Uh, I don't. The woman who's flying in the background with a sword, is she somebody? I'm assuming that's magic. Oh, does, does magic come back for Liefeld's run? I don't think she does. No, this is all thing. I don't like uh, this. There's also Skids is in this as well, and she's not in Liefeld's run unless it's Amara. It's either Skids or Amara. It's mm. hard to tell because they're not doing a, a power signature. Well, Rusty and Skids are are they in a hospital right now, or do they get f- rescued by the Mutant Liberation Front? Uh, they got rescued by the Mutant Liberation Front. Last I thought was what happened to them, but beyond that, I don't know. The guy with the sword and the long shot eye star, is he somebody or does he just kind of morph into a... So that is Shatterstar. Shatterstar, okay. And he shows up, I think, in the last couple of issues before X-Force. I don't think any of these other people... I mean, this is the cannonball outfit that eventually happens. And Sunspot. Sunspot's outfit. Boom Boom, I think, has multiple outfits. Uh, Richter... Probably his outfit in the next couple of issues. I'm going to say this is Amara, not not Skids. And I don't know if she ever shows up. And then we get a little three-panel preview of New Mutant Summer Special. Yep. And a mighty pinup of the sensational leader of the New Mutants cable, where he has the tiniest little feet and so cute. <laughs> Huge upper body. Very wide waist. Thick legs. Itty bitty little feet. <laughs> it's adorable. Tiny head too. Yep. All right. Uh, X Factor Annual Number Six Tribute the First. Jean Grey's also at a grave. This is the better of the two stories. Um, she's at a grave. She's at her grave, which I feel like 
is a mistake because isn't her grave at the mansion? I don't know. Maybe they moved it after she came back. (laughs) (laughs) And there's an old lady here who's like, what are you doing here? Who is that? She was very young. You knew her? Well, obviously not. It's you. <laughs> she doesn't say that. <laughs> they have a little misunderstanding in which which Jean's like, I I don't know what I'm doing. Or I don't know who I'm supposed to be. I've had like like two different sides of me. It's all so complicated. I feel like she's a part of me. Not only that, but I feel like someone else is a part of me as well. Her name's Madeline. And I feel as if I don't know where they begin and I end. I'm being very literal, but you're going to take this as me being not very literal, and I'm just going to walk away. <laughs> the old lady's going to walk away. Yeah, she's like, whatever. Ask a simple question. She heads off, sits down on a bench, and then Jean comes over. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, what What are you? Who are you visiting? And she's like, oh, that's my husband, Sam. I didn't mean to be so rude about what you were saying before. What was that all about? Ah, nothing. I'm having an identity crisis. And then the old lady's like, well, what do you think makes you so unique? She shows her her arm, which has uh, a number, a, a Nazi tattoo of her identity number. She's like, oh, my God, you're a concentrate. You're in a concentration camp. You're Jewish. Are you Jewish? This isn't a Jewish seminary. And I thought, and she said, for your information, Hitler killed lots more than the Jews. But as it so happened, yes, I'm Jewish or was or am. It's all about Madeline Pryor. I like, I like that um, that nuance, right? Because typically, whenever you do a concentration camp story, it's very clear cut. Like uh, from a Jewish, I'm Jewish. I'm from a Jewish family, and I was in a concentration camp. Uh, but this whole story is all about like, I'm nothing is ever as it seems, right. and you know, I, I've I've lived a long life and I've had to wear a lot of hats. And and we're gonna to get to like why I'm being a little wishy washy on the whole Jewish thing, which is neat, which is a which is a, a great story arc. So we find out that she she grew grew up in Berlin, uh, wealthy Jewish parents. Uh, she was a wealthy Jewish child. Uh, uh, lots of education, dance classes is the thing she loved to do. Uh, she would just sing throughout the house, one and two and one and two, which becomes a, a thing. Uh, they knew. Some things in around 1939, 1940 were not going quite right, but they were a family of means. They thought they were, because they were well-connected yeah. that they would be okay, but they were not. And ultimately, they were not. As soon as like all the riffraff was taken care of, yeah, they came for the rest of the Jews, and they were all separated and taken to the concentration camp and stripped naked and show, or, or, or hair-shaved and dehumanized. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a serious story. And, uh, you know, she, she talks about characters getting, or, or, or other Jewish people being taken to the, the showers. She's separated from her family at this point. Yep. A commandant recognizes her who used to uh, have connections to her father and is like, Hey, that, that girl dances and she dances well dance right now. And, and so she does, uh, and it, and it sort of kind of clears her mind a little bit. And that commandant takes an interesting, or takes an interest in her, uh, and kind of feeds her a little bit more, gives her nicer clothes, gives her a nicer place to sleep in, uh, and so she takes advantage of the privilege uh, because it's keeping her alive. But it comes with a price, Adam, which is probably the most horrifying panel in Marvel <laughs> Comics history ever. Uh, he, she says, 
I was a toy. He would trot me out for visiting dignitaries, and at night he would keep me around for other things. And you get just a frightened young woman being groped upon by just the grossest looking man. She she was raped as a prisoner, essentially. She became a Jewish prisoner who was dehumanized to a better uh, situated prisoner who was still dehumanized. Yes. And so I believe there are two moments in Marvel history. I'm sure there's more that I'm aware of anyways, uh, that reach kind of this sort of raw and realistic level. This panel showing probably some of the horrifying things that actually did happen in, in Nazi uh, uh, tra- uh, concentration camps. The second is the story of Carol Danvers <laughs> at the end of uh, Avengers Annual number 10. Right. When she tells everybody, like, he mentally took control of me, raped me, and you all were g- okay with it. Like, right. To me, those are like the two like most brutal, raw, and horrifying moments in Marvel history. I'm sure there's way more. But I feel like this and that story are not contrived. They're like a culmination of things. And Well, the, the Carol Danvers story is kind of weirdly built out of taking something right. that was a weirdly fictional thing that was probably weird at the time, but is sort of skated over like I, and I, I don't think anybody intended it for it to be it was sort of thoughtless the way it was done right and then chris claremont kind of latched onto that and was like yeah that's really dark <laughs> and you kind of painted over the fact of how dark it is so i'm just gonna expose it yep i'm just gonna bring it out and we're gonna we're gonna fix this character we're gonna redeem her give her salvation give her some some revenge or, or whatever you want to call it whereas whereas this panel is just probably a realistic, horrifying situation that women in that that era and time frame had to go through all the time, and you know throughout history, this is uh, it's it's uh, consistently women have had to go through this type of thing. So yeah. it's it's like twice as horrifying, or, or six times as horrifying. Yeah, and just you know the expression on her face, the color, everything is just like it's a perfectly horrible panel. Yeah, it's it's upsetting. So, and and so it goes on. The rest of the the Jewish prisoners are who's super skinny. Uh, she got a little bit of meat on her bones. You know, they're they're trudging along with their buckets and calling her a harlot. So she's getting raped every night. She's getting, you know, uh, um, uh, I don't know, uh, separated from her, I guess, peers or whatnot during the day. So she has to be living just a, a miserable experience day and night. Yeah. Except when she dances. And meanwhile, throughout all of this, she's like, and that was my next personality of a survivor. But then, you know, we we uh, we were freed, um, tried to find my family, couldn't find anybody. So I moved to America where I began my next identity as a as a bakery salesperson. I met my husband, Sam, who is not Jewish. And I, I knew that my family being strict Jews or, or of the strict Jewish faith would not approve, but hey, they were gone. I'm alone. This is what I wanted. So we got married. And that was my next identity as a, of a wife. Um, not a mother, I though. That my, yeah, that's true. I discovered that my aunt was alive and I she came over to the States. And as soon as she met my husband, she exploded. 
How could I be married outside the faith, she demanded. I was a traitor. I was insulting my family's memory. This is also sort of heartbreaking because we see the panel of her getting the letter from her aunt, then going to the boat to meet her. And we can only see her from the back, but she's like waving out. Like, you got to be excited. Like, oh, my God, a family member of mine. We've gone through all of this hell and everybody's I thought everybody's dead. Here's some of my bloodline is here. And she picks her up and introduces her to her husband sam who's i don't know christian catholic doesn't matter and it's like you are a traitor to the family yeah this is heartbreaking and then you know, she Some people she, she says she screams at her uh the young woman inside of me uh, cringe but the woman i'd become screamed back angry and hateful things the last thing she said to me was that you betrayed the heritage you've forgotten who you are and i never saw her again I quite mother any other identities after that all identities that people expected of me or that I expected of myself. But who are you? All those things you said you are. How do you know what your core is? That's what I need to know. So the old lady slowly gets up, takes off her shoes, I'm going to guess, and starts counting one and two and one and two. She starts dancing. She extends her arms out to Jean, who joins in for a moment. Some things, pretty lady, you never forget. And she walks off into the sunset. Yeah. Literally. And I feel like of all of the stories we read, like I know that in the current X Factor storyline, like Jean's trying to find herself. That's why she won't marry Scott. And she's got like, memories of Madeline haunted by the ghost of, Dar- or of Phoenix. I don't know if this story like leads into a, hey, hey, I met this old person at the cemetery and I'm feeling a lot better now. Or if this is <laughs> a story of many stories of Jean sort of finding her identity. I don't know. I think it's just a, a small story that probably never really comes into play in the character outside of that story, but maybe should have. I think this, this story, uh, unlike the rogue story unlike the magic story does a good job of continuing to build up the um character of gene gray absolutely but i doubt it was ever used beyond itself no i'm kind of joking i I doubt there's a cx factor annual five for more details right exactly (laughs) we get a we get a two-page spread by dale keown and bob mcleod in which we get Jean's butt and side boob and she is twisted like a pretzel and it's inhuman and weird and uh it's 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 an awful drawing we it's we go from like a a really sobering humanizing story to like oh my butt and my boob is in your face (laughs) this is this is literally one of those impossible positions like more so it it's bad it's it's like you see in one of those movie posters where you see they they like to do the butt and the side boob, but this is just like straight on the butt, and then you get the side boob, and that's like that's not possible, and especially the way like her waist is cinched over to the right, so it just looks like a pretzel. It's just it's it's weirdly bad. It's disturbing. She. <laughs> It's more disturbing than that panel. This is the first. There are three disturbing moments in the Marvel Universe. Um, <laughs> there's a little background, not background. It's like maybe someday they'll tell us the story behind this monstrous scene. They're underwater and there's like fish creatures attacking them. The only thing I can assume is that this was a two-page spread that was cut from Atlantis Attacks. But maybe not. It's possible because it's Beast and Jean Grey underwater. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they can breathe. I think they're in like a cage thing. 
but I don't they, know. I guess they must be. And then we get uh, a teaser for X Factor Prisoner of Love by Jim Starlin and Jackson Juice, where Beast is kissing a woman. Is it Beast or Nightcrawler? I think it's Beast. Wait, X Factor. Yeah, I guess yeah. it would have to be Beast. Which it, I never uh, read because I remember seeing it on the comic book racks, but I think it was like $6 or something. And I was like, eh, I'm spending that. I imagine it will go into an episode much like this one in which we just have a ramshackle array of stuff. We're almost done. We're in the home stretch. Last and least, uh, we got Marvel Comics Presents number 52, The Wilding Part 2, The First Cut is the Deepest, Rob Liefeld's uh, plot. He didn't he didn't uh, script it this time. Fabian Nicieza, his buddy, came in and helped him out. Did he read the first one? Yeah, he wrote the first one himself. Well, did he read the first one, Fabian Nisazia, and say, oh, Rob, buddy? <laughs> or maybe Rob himself wrote the, read the first one and was like, this is cool, but I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I like plotting. Uh, yeah, so uh, Wolverine is stalking Heather, what's-her-face, um, Alpha Flight's Heather Hudson, and he's also stalking... Uh, Wild Child, who is that Alpha Flight reject or Gamma Flight guy. And Wolverine watches from afar as Wild Child attacks Heather Hudson and then um, kills. Well, he, he, he swipes at her and somehow she still survives. And then um, uh, she, she manages to knock him out the window. And then Wolverine budge, uh, brushes in, uh, jumps in after saying, She's in trouble. How come? Why didn't I smell him? He pops his claws, um, slices up Wild Child. There's a fight scene. He brings his claws back in for some reason. The same sound effect is given with Wild Child slashes Wolverine's chin. It's like a shruck as the one that he uses to, I guess, cut Heather Hudson open. But we never really know what happens. Um, at any rate, Wild Child runs away and... He has a choice. Wolverine has a choice of going after Wild Child or saving Heather Hudson. Obviously, he saves Heather Hudson, brings her to her hospital where uh, the doctor is like, you can't I can't tell her that you're Wolverine, right? And she's like, yep, that's the deal. Now I got to go get uh, Wild Child. The hunt, let the hunt begin. Ooh, it's it's you know, it's it's the 90s. I I didn't even look at, at the issue. I got a new iPad and I haven't uh, transferred my Marvel Comics presents over it, so I'm gonna do that at some point. A- any 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 interesting backup stories? Or I always like to check to see like, ooh, is there some character I care about that had like a one shot? No, this is like the Comet Man continuing thing. Okay. There's kind of a funny Rick Jones story that doesn't really matter, um, and then there's a Hulk story that was silly. Mm. Uh, about space aliens playing space invaders where earth is one of the earth is one of the things that they're going to blow up and Hulk has to stop it. It's kind of fun, but also dumb. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yeah, well, we, we should have done Marvel comics presents up at the top kind of uh, ended on a sleepy note there. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 we're getting towards the Marvel comics presents stories that maybe will get better. I feel like we're in a kind of glut of uninteresting Wolverine stories right now. Eventually we'll get to that uh, Weapon X story. That'll be fun. 
I am uh, looking forward to re-reading that. I don't think I ever read it collectively. I only read it in little chunks. Maybe we'll do that as a one-off episode where we just do that. It's not a bad idea. It really isn't. So I think in total, it'll probably be at least as many pages as the New Mutant Summer Special. All right, buddy. Um, <laughs> I'm spent. All right. <laughs> uh, you got anything else, Adam? No, no, no. I'm going to wrap her up. Could I talk just for a little bit about... I'm just kidding. Uh, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>